Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm happy to say, Bread for the People has a new sponsor. Farmer Ground Flour was nice enough to sponsor Bread for the People, and I wanted to tell you a little bit more about them. Here's what I discovered. So, it's a team of conscientious millers and farmers that was started in about 2009 by three friends, Greg Russo, Neil Johnson, and Thor Oxner. They're rooted in the Finger Lakes region, and they use local organic grains and focus on supporting local communities. They're committed to leading the growth of sustainable grain economy. Farmer Ground has designed their stone ground milling process to retain the integrity of the grain, allowing natural nutrients, fibers, oils, and flavors to speak for themselves. I particularly like baking with the high extraction bread flour. It's an 85% extraction flour that is sifted to remove a large portion of the bran while retaining the wheat germ, resulting in great flavors and nutrition. Go to FarmerGroundFlour.com to learn more. I highly recommend Farmer Ground, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring Bread for the People. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name, or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. I am very excited about our next guest. There are so many things that I would like to talk about and learn about. I've discovered after I asked her to join me on the podcast that she is into the van life and travels the country with her husband. And I'm intrigued and fascinated as I would fantasize about this and follow many van Instagram accounts uh, for many years. So I'm, I'm intrigued about that. Of course, my listeners know I am into bread and pizza. And my guest, Nicole Bean, is an award-winning pizzaiola. In 2018, she was crowned the Caputo Cup's rising star. She was also named one of the top 50 most influential people in pizza. And she's just back off a huge trip where she made pizza in Seoul, South Korea. Please welcome Nicole Bean. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for being here. I know you're involved with your family, and I believe your title is the president of Pizarro's Pizza. Is that right? That is correct. That's pretty cool. So who's involved in Pizarro's along with you? 
Uh, my brother and my husband are mainly involved. My mom does a lot of the uh, background paperwork and payroll processing, make sure that all of our bills get paid. She runs the most important role, I feel like. And then my dad is pretty much retired for yeah. the most part. He still kind of, you know, digs in his nose a little bit where he, he wants to uh, make sure that we're still on right. track and kind of, you know, sees little things that I don't see or, you know, makes mentions of things that I already see, but still brings them up anyway. Uh, so that's always fun. You know, he's like, Oh, you got to check your labor. I'm like, yeah, I'm already on it. And he's like, okay, but it was high this week. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah. that's, that's the role of a dad. Exactly. And a business owner, right? He started the company, I believe. And I think like me, this was almost a second career. Wasn't he a hobbyist who, who really got into making pizza and took a few research trips to Italy? It was kind of an interesting trick because he wanted to have an oven in the backyard. And that's kind of where this whole thing started as he wanted to have that in right. the backyard, thought it would replace his barbecue pit. He could do more things with it then realized this is meant for pizzas and bread and uh, started to import flour, started doing research, then went off to Italy, brought some things back, went and got certified in California and we started making pizzas at the house regularly. It used to be like once or twice a month. Then it was like weekly. Then it was like multiple times a week. Then it was pretty much Friday, Saturday, Sunday until he kind of told us, you know, I'm going to quit my job and open the pizzeria. And we all thought it was crazy. But at the same time, we kind of thought that it was good enough to do so. So we, we followed suit and pursued. He pursued his dream of doing so. And I didn't join until uh, two years later after they had started the process. But I was within the process almost the whole time throughout, except for uh, the first year of opening, I kind of was in a different different location. So I wasn't really there to help outside of lending an ear when they would call suffering. They're not going to bed till midnight. Yeah. Now, I'm curious to learn more about the, the certification process and what that really means. Mm -hmm. Was it Tony Gemignani's place that he studied? No, actually he was uh, trained by Pepe Mille. And, uh, okay. he was, it was a different place in California. I want to say San Diego or something like that. And then I went and trained with Tony Gimignani in San Francisco years later, and then went and trained with Enrico Fama at Casse New York. So I've got a couple different certifications underneath my belt. What does that mean? So I'm, I'm interested in that for myself. <laughs> sure. I'm a semi-professional baker, learned all all this on my own, but I, I would love to go apprentice and, and learn with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. What, I mean, what is the process? Uh, the process is, is fairly simple. There's a lot of different um, schools. There's a lot of different places you can go. There's a new place in Atlanta, uh, AVPN. They'll train you and certify you in uh, specifically Neapolitan pizza. Then I have a friend in uh, Spain who's training in uh, Roman and pizza taglio. Honestly, the certification is more of like just putting yourself into a really in-depth process and really deep diving into what it is you want to learn. So when I went to Tony's, uh, I specifically went for Detroit, but the class that he was offering was American style. So it started with Chicago deep dish. Then we went into New York. Um, and then I was like, I want to learn Detroit. Uh, so I kind of like pushed my way into, you know, moving into Detroit's and uh, Laura was there. Laura Meyer was there and she asked me if I wanted to come in at six o'clock in the morning and help push out Detroit's. And I begrudgingly said, yes, because yeah. obviously sleep, <laughs> but it was something right. I really wanted to learn. It was so worth it because um, 
you really kind of got to know the processes and he would throw you into the business, which was crazy to me because I had never been in anybody else's kitchen before. And he threw you into a lunch rush, which I've not experienced a lunch rush like that in a long time. I mean, that is, I mean, they start lining outside of Tony's at like nine 30 in the morning and they don't open till 11. So if that tells you anything, it gets quite busy. Wow. But uh, that was, that was fun. That's... It was very immersive. So, are they certified by Naples and the the official? Like, how is there a hierarchy and a structure to make someone official? Yeah, there's a what I like to call pizza politics. Uh, it's a whole whole <laughs> world of things, but yeah, there is um, there's a line of kind of operation in which you have to run. There's manuals and so on and so forth. Um, when I went to train with Enrico Fama, he was wanting to open up the uh, American side of his school. And it's pretty intensive. They expect for you to train people for, you know, 15 hours. And um, then you have to fulfill a test at the end of it, which when I was at Tony's, I was terrified I was going to fail because I'm a terrible test taker. I ask a lot of questions and I take a lot of notes and I am deplorable at tests. But uh, yeah, they, they expect for you to fulfill a test and so on and so forth and have a passing grade to make sure that you fully understand it. And yeah, there's definitely a curriculum to it. And it's pretty, pretty thick. So it's 15 hours of working time? 15 hours of working time, yeah. So I could, I could theoretically take a week out of my life mm-hmm. and go do this if I could schedule it correctly? Yep. You sure could. Do you need to, do they do like a background? Like, does this person have at least a basic knowledge? They, they kind of vet you a little bit, kind of inquiring like what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If you have a business or if you're looking to open a business, little things like that. Cause they want to know kind of like where, you know, why are you taking this? What's your point in doing so? Where do you plan to go with it? And I don't know what the, succession rate after completing it is because even in my class there were a couple people who were about to start a business i know two of them actually did and then you know one or two of them just didn't i never heard anything from them i don't even know if they continue to make pizza for fun but you know it's one of those eye-opening experiences if you've never had experience in a kitchen and you get thrown into tony gimignani's kitchen it's intensive and it it really scares the crap out of you because if you've never done restaurant, you have no idea what you're getting into. And I always kind of chuckle when people are like, I want to open a restaurant. I'm like, yeah, you do. Sure. So I want to go down this road a little bit more because, and I'll tell you a little bit more about me. Tonight, I am delivering my mobile cafe for the first time ever to an Italian feast. And tomorrow we begin making, essentially it's like a Roman pizza, but it's called scacciata bread, which you may be familiar with. Mm -hmm and Italian flatbread sandwiches. And I do this with my wife and two of my three sons. And they think it's all fun or going to be fun. And we're going to have a line. We're going to have pressure. And when you talk about being thrown into the lunch rush at Tony's place, is it all pleasantries and smiles and, hey, how you doing? You know, there's, there's a position of camaraderie that you take. And if you can't get into it, then you're basically going to drown. So it's kind of like you you sink or you sink or sail, and if you sail, it's great because you can you know figure out the problem, troubleshoot you know where you need to. Sometimes you're going to rip a yeah. pizza and you're in the middle of you know twenty deep. It just happens. Right, it just happens. You have to learn how to roll I, with the punches. I gotcha. Now, what about work? 
What about working with your family? Was there ever some like intense situations oh. where you actually were together and doing the thing and it was just like, bam, bam? So our very first restaurant was only 2,000 square feet. So wow. uh, it was pretty small and there was five of us plus our employees. So it was pretty tight most days and uh, not, but maybe three feet from the oven to the deck. So someone's always getting poked in the back by the peel. Right. Uh, yeah, Which is what's going to happen in our truck. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. And you really kind of take on like the family dynamic of things. You know, dad's always in charge. Mom always has second. I have an older brother who works with me. So, you know, he's always constantly like, well, you're my little sister. How could you know any better? <laughs> so yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of issues throughout the family, a lot of arguments, but at the end of the day, like we all have like the consensus of, we want this business to operate. We want it to be successful. So it doesn't matter how many arguments we get into. If we don't, don't agree, we all come back tomorrow and we start anew. All right. This will be the last question. Cause I don't want to take this whole thing up on that, but d- did you agree at the time that it made sense for dad to be in charge or did he not, or did you know better? at times? Or did you accept your role in the hierarchy? Because I came into it after it was for me, it wasn't a goal of mine to be in a restaurant. Um, And when my dad asked me to join after a year of the business being open, I said, yes, obviously, you know, I felt like it was the best way to give back to my parents who've given to me my whole life. So I just kind of hopped at the opportunity and didn't really ask any questions and didn't take, um, I didn't really take any initiative at first because I wanted to learn the business. And I think that was the best opportunity for me to do so. And which my dad found that I kind of operated in the same mannerisms that he did. And so he felt like I was the next person in line to take over his position. And I think he started grooming me for that since the moment I walked through that door. Since the moment you were born. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I, I am his, busy, his biggest asset, he says. So, yeah, he always always worries, like, when I go on trips and stuff. Like, he's like, I just have to make sure my asset comes home. I'm like, okay. That's fine. <laughs> right. I accept it. So, you do all that, and you grow in the business. And, I, you know, was he... I know a lot of different pizza makers. Where I live in Long Island, New York, you could throw a stone and hit a pizza shop. But they're they're not all tapped into the pizza scene. They're not all like up on going to the pizza expo. They're not all on Clubhouse listening, you know, to a bunch of experts who love to get together every night and share stuff, which I think is amazing. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, was your father that way? And what I'm getting to is you. Like you are tapped in. You you are living the life of a pizza make and a pizza maker and other things. But did you bring that to this business or was he that involved in the international national no, thing? I think I kind of did it to myself. I've always been interested in traveling. Um, but I think the biggest thing was my dad had a very old school way. And I, I you can probably resonate with this being from where you are. Um, a lot of the pizza makers are kind of with a mentality of like, this is my recipe. It's my secret. Like I'm not telling you, I'm not giving you anything. And when my brother and I went to New York for uh, like a little mini conference with Orlando foods, that was the first time that my kind of eyes had been open to this larger thing that was happening. My parents had gone the year before and they had done like a demonstration with pastry and so on. 
and they encouraged my brother and I to go. So we did. And that's kind of where we started to understand that there's a much larger pizza world out there. And there's a community of, of people out there. And when I found out about Tony's school, I was like I, very interested. And that's kind of how I started getting involved in a lot of these things. And really understanding that the new wave of pizza makers is not to hold the secrets of my pizza is the best and I'm not going to tell you anything. It's about sharing the knowledge that you have or the experiences that you have and letting other people grow from that. So like the way that Neapolitan pizza was when we started is very different than the way that it is now. So if you think of Naples in like, let's say 2000, it is night and day from what it is today. So you have contemporary Neapolitan, you have traditional Neapolitan, you have uh, like this Nuvola cloud pizza that would became very crazy. I mean, you have all these like different waves of things. And these are generations of, of parents whose kids are like, no, nah, I want to do something different. And it's about sharing the the processes and what you're doing and, and just really taking your craft and saying, I want to know more. And whatever I learn, I want you to learn too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in, uh, I started with bread and that's what I've been deep into and in getting into pizza in the backyard and work with a lot of pizzerias that I do collaborations with. But I'm I'm really interested in, in learning more of it, especially from doing this podcast and talking to people like you and Dan Richard and all these people, man, it's just like, it is a really interesting world. Um, and I would love to get involved and take one of those classes. I am curious. Now I'm going to get a little bit into the weeds about flour. And I, I heard you talking about Trump's flour mm-hmm. and the fact that that's chlorinated and enriched. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole school of people that aren't using, you know, chlorinated, right? They're using unbleached flowers and so on. I wanted to understand from you where you, you sit with that. Um, honestly, I don't really think about too much of the process of how the flower is treated. It's more of the end result of the process. So uh, lately I've been testing a lot of different flowers to kind of decide whether what, what I'm going to go with. Uh, when I compete in Naples uh, next week. And mm. I'm going to have to get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've gone through a lot of trials. I've, I've got like a, the whole plethora of flowers um, in my house, at my restaurants. Um, I'll order like random bags and my employees are like, what are you doing with that? But I'm like, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I've just got like buckets of things and I'm constantly just like experimenting and trying things and testing things and doing them in a way where like I'm, I'm trialing them in the same exact process against each other to see how they perform. And I continue to go back to the all Trump's flower because it continues to show me what I'm looking for versus other flowers. And I know a lot of people swear by King Arthur, they really do. And I just, for the life of me, cannot work with King Arthur. And I don't know if it's just something that I'm doing wrong or the process is wrong, whatever it is, but do you know which King Arthur you're using? Is it the high protein Sir Lancelot? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I know a lot of people love it and it's very hard for me to stand behind some of the King Arthur flowers because I've tried a bunch of them and they've performed quite differently than other flowers that I've tried. But it's 
I don't honestly think it really matters what the process is beforehand. It's all a matter of how it performs at the end. If it performs the way that you want it to, then that's your flower. Okay. I think we just got a good sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it's just like New York water, you know, like people are like, Oh, New York water is like the best water. I'm like, I mean, it's just, it's water. I mean, it's going to, it's going to perform however you want it to perform. You know, I agree. I, I think the New York water myth is a crock and we, we know, we know it's been proven. There's amazing pizza in Houston. There's amazing pizza in Phoenix. Uh, there's amazing pizza everywhere. So you get used to a certain water and a certain whatever. Look, I, mean, I use purified water. Like at my restaurants, I do because we have very hard water here. Um, mm-hmm. But like at home, if I'm testing stuff, I just use water out of the tap. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, I don't know in any different. No, that's great. I guess the, the only thing, you know, it's just the, the bleaching part mm-hmm. is my only concern. But I use it sometimes. I, I play with it. And I just, I know so many great pizza makers that do continue to use it. It's always about what you can get to. Because sure, if you can't get your hands on, on a product or if it's too expensive, don't, don't use it. Even, even if you love it, you know, if you can't get your hands on it or if it's too expensive... It's not worth it because trust yeah. me, I'm my highest pizza right now is over 30 bucks and I can't stand it. It just drives me bananas to be selling, you know, 16 inch pizza for 30 something bucks. But that's, that's where we are in life well, right now. <laughs> for those don't know that don't know, like the, but for me, I pay an average of maybe $23 for a 50 pound bag of the flour I use. But I recently tried the Caputo double zero and mm-hmm. it's like 50 bucks. Yep. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of pizzas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, a lot of money. I'm in that same boat. I've been using the Double Zero Caputo for 12 years now, and I refuse to change. And regardless of price, I'm not going to change my product. Yeah. So, so you use that mixed with the all Trumps, or do you use them, or they're separate pizzas? Separate pizzas. So I use the Double yeah. Zero for my Neapolitan and also my Detroit. And then my all Trumps is specifically for New York's only. Very cool. So tell us about Naples. You're going, you are a competitor. You've mm-hmm. been competing for a while now. Do you have to bring, first of all, there's got to be, this is Naples. This is like the top of the top. People from all over the world are coming here. Are you sourcing anything local? Or are you bringing sacks of flour on a plane? <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> uh, so I will be competing in two different categories. I'll be competing in the American category as well as the traditional Neapolitan category. Uh, so for the American division, I'm actually going to be freezing dough balls and taking them on the plane with me. Um, oh. <laughs> and then for Neapolitan, I've actually got uh, flour waiting for me there as well as tomatoes. So I will need to source some other ingredients, uh, for my pizza. So that will be fun to go grocery shopping. I always love going to, um, markets in Italy cause they're so much better than American ones. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where I started baking, actually, in Florence. We took a class and we got hooked. I love Florence. We, we went to the market there and uh, the part of the class was going shopping and then going back cooking with the ingredients we bought. It was pretty cool. So are other people bringing frozen? I guess they are, but there's also people probably mixing there. Yeah, there'll be plenty of people mixing there. As far as I know, there will be a singular mixer. Whether there's more, I don't know. But there's at least 30 competitors, so I have to imagine that at least half of them will want to be mixing dough there. 
So if you kind of take into consideration that people are going to be mixing dough, you're kind of limited on time, especially if you want, you know, so much fermentation on it. You have to take all those factors into consideration. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get what you want. Yeah. And you just got back from Seoul, South Korea. Mm -hmm. I saw the trip on Instagram. It looked amazing. It looked just so cool. How does that come together? Uh, That was a very interesting trip. A lot of fun. A lot of learning curves. um, Translation issues. The whole nine. But that's like part of, you know, being a chef is (laughs) overcoming the challenges that are thrown at your way. But uh, we were kind of... I was asked from a friend of mine who was asked by Stephanie Swain, who works for Modernist Cuisine, and uh, they've been traveling around the world working on, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal the project, but they're working on a new project. And uh, so a friend of a friend was uh, working on putting chef lists together for the Seoul Food Festival, which is typically an all Michelin star chef lineup. And they wanted to have women in pizza come out and so my friend Leah was asked she asked me to participate I couldn't turn the situation down uh at all whatsoever I had to say yes and so we did and we went out there with our friend Lars and my husband Brad came out and we uh we made focaccia for a grand gala dinner and we took over pizzeria for two days and then we fed a whole bunch of people on the Ben Pro Bridge right there in Seoul it was it was interesting it was a lot of fun I will say that it was a lot of fun I was particularly inspired by the pizzeria takeover. Mm -hmm. Did the customers, was it advertised and marketed that way? And were people coming in just to say, hey, let's see what they do? It was. um, So it it was part of the Soul Food Festival event. So it was marketed across, I guess, various different streams. They had TV Chosung, which is like one of the largest TV networks in Seoul, um, kind of doing most of the broadcast for it. And the pizzeria itself, marketed it with us so when you when you're walking on the street you would see like this big giant sign outside of the building with our faces on it um Mm. and so we only served the only pizzas that were served were the four pizzas that we had collaborated together to make and so that was the menu for two two nights or two days straight that's uh i i took a, a little bit like i said i was inspired by it i immediately called a good friend of mine who i work with at a deli he makes great sandwiches, does a lot of catering, and I want to. We set up a date for his sandwich express to take over my mobile flatbread sandwich unit. So we're awesome. going to pull up in front of his restaurant. We're going to bring him in. But uh, yeah, I got that idea from you guys. I think it's a cool collaboration concept. It definitely is. I never heard of it like that in like a live <laughs> event. I've heard of Twitter takeovers. Mm-hmm. I've seen that a million times, but to actually be in person, I love that idea. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I think the most intriguing part of it was one, you know, they all spoke Korean and we had to have a translator. Uh, and so we're making these, making these pizzas. We had kind of set out in advance, you know, like a couple of different things that we thought we could collaborate on and we get there by the way, communication wasn't super amazing. Um, just over time, apparently that's how Koreans operate is a little bit last minute. So we had to just kind of hang out. Uh, so we got there, we're having this whole conversation about it and they just hand us like a container of ingredients. They're like, we need you to prep all five pizzas that you sent us. And we're like, Oh, okay. So we did that and we created things and they were trying and everything. And so that was kind of the fun part of just kind of seeing what 
they thought would work well for the customer. Um, but we did learn that Koreans do like their pieces cooked a little bit more well done. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite fascinating. I mean, like you, you'll learn a lot of things working with somebody else that you don't normally work with. Like how, wow. how to cut things differently, different utensils, uh, different products, just like incorporating different ingredients that you don't normally you know, see yourself doing. You get exposed to things and that's kind of like the eye-opening experience. It was just like the exposure. Yeah. What did you do about the fermentation on those? Did you ship frozen? Did you have them make it in advance? We made it there. Uh, we made everything there. We did bring, I did bring uh, flour and yeast. I like vacuum sealed it and shoved it in my suitcase so that I could make a biga um, before uh, Leon Lars got there because they were coming in a day after. So in order to make sure we had our, you know, focaccia made properly on time, I had to make the biga in my, my uh, hotel room. So <laughs> I, I brought stuff with me and they, uh, what we call smuggled in a pepperoni and cheese. Uh, oh, yeah. So that was. You don't want to mess around with that. <laughs> no, you don't. It's hard to find pepperoni elsewhere. But uh, yeah, that would I don't that would be like I don't know that would probably give you a little street cred if you were arrested for smuggling pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, um, you, you know, you just you learn you learn things. You bring things. You you know, kind of have to do what you need to do in order to make the situation work in all aspects. But you got to be kind of careful because TSA will confiscate things without hesitation. Oh yeah, women in pizza. You're involved in that. I hear about it mm -hmm. on some of the uh, clubhouse conversations I've joined. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that group. So, women in pizza started several years ago. Is just kind of like a collaborative, um, and basically the message is just to let women shine in their position. Um, not it, specifically in pizza, but also in the restaurant industry as well. You know we. We want to make sure that our voices are heard. We are here. We are still doing things. You know, we still play a vital role in the business, whether it's front of house, back of house, on the line, you know, whatever it is, we're, we're still here. We're still part of it. And this is a completely male dominated industry. So it's important to kind of rally women together and let them know that, hey, you know, you're not the only one in the business. You know, there's other women who may be singular to their business as well, but we're all here and we're all doing things together. And it's just, it's basically a community. It's, it's a wonderful community of women who can, you know, share on the platform. Where can people learn more about that? Uh, womeninpizza.com or you can find them on Instagram, women in pizza. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. So when I was doing my research, I was surprised to see this trailer for you and your husband getting on this van and embarking on a journey, I didn't expect to find that. How so, so? So, well, here's what I know, which is not a ton. You were interested and intrigued, and I believe you went to Colorado and rented a, a Sprinter van and explored that part of the state. It looked amazing. Tell us how long you did it, and what made you do it, and in the end, what you learned. So, uh, like I said, I'm a huge traveler. I love it. My life's goal is to visit all seven continents and all 50 states, bare minimum. And uh, we, I've always had it on my Pinterest board, like van life. It's been sitting there for, God, years, maybe a decade at this point. And I, I never thought that my husband would be interested in it because it's you know very confined space. And he's 6'1". He's a pretty tall dude. And I just left it there as like kind of like a hopes and dreams board. And uh, during the pandemic, we kind of started talking about it. We started following these little, 
YouTube channels of like people who were you know traveling in vans and it became obviously a thing in 2020 with the pandemic. And uh, we decided, you know, why don't we try this out? And I really was just shocked when Brad was like, do you, what do you think about van life? I was like, seriously, are you serious right now? I'm going to fall out of my chair. Um, so I started doing more research and found that there were companies that were renting these. And I told him, you know, let's, let's rent one, uh, before we, we try and buy one, uh, let's rent one, see if we even like it. So that was our first initial trip was going to Colorado, renting a a van. And we basically did this giant loop around Colorado for For like a week for 10 days. Almost. And you had the time. Because of the pandemic, were the restaurants closed for in-person dining? They were closed for in-person dining. And, you know, we were steady enough and had enough staff. I had made sure that we had kept every single person through the pandemic. We didn't even shut down for one single day, which was amazing. But we kind of just took this as like an opportunity to kind of like get out of the mask, get out of the house, get out of, you know, wherever we were at just to like get out. And so it was Traveling during the pandemic was so breezy. Oh my gosh, I miss it. (laughs) It's like no one at the airport, no one on planes. It's just like, it was so nice. But yeah, traveling around Colorado in the van was just amazing. We knew like the very first night we were like, yes, we want to do this. And we got home and we called our Ford dealership because I was in the process of ordering my Bronco. And uh, we had the same dealer for probably several years. Everyone in our family has a Ford at this point. And he was like, Hey, uh, do you know anybody who might want this transit van? And we're like, what you have a transit van? Because at the time they were impossible to find. And Mm -hmm. he was like, yeah, I have one that's been on the lot for like six months and I can't get rid of it. And so we went down the dealership, looked at it, had everything intact, drove perfectly perfect. It was brand new. We told me we'd take it as long as you take all the seats out. And he kind of looked at us kind of weird and agreed to take all the seats out. Gave us a great deal. We had a van a, a week later and started gutting it and remodeling a van. Did you know what you were doing or you were watching YouTube videos on how to do this? A hundred percent YouTube videos. A hundred percent YouTube videos. So I uh, could do this? You could, could do I it. pull it off? You, anybody could do it. I think that's the fun part. It's like anybody could do it. And we kind of filmed the whole process through. And God, Brad and I had argued so many times building this van. I mean, like cutting a hole in the roof was like terrifying, you know, like gluing things in, putting stuff in, just like making sure that it's like, is this going to work? We had test drove it like every couple times that we'd put something in to make sure it didn't like fall off going down the road. Um, And we've had several iterations of our bed. We've had several iterations of our shower. We're still working through the shower problem, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a very fun, fun, joyous ride, and no pun intended there. But I love going into the van because every time I get in there, it's like this little mini New York apartment, and it's just like one of my favorite things is when we're laying in bed at the end of the day, and just like it's so cozy. You've you've made That's this awesome. tiny home for yourself. And do you do like what we do on the food trailers with the uh, with generators and stuff to keep it cool at night? We no. don't have an air conditioning unit in it yet, although uh, we have contemplated figuring that portion out. Right now, the van is strictly for cold weather. Uh, we, see, that's, we yeah, that's my biggest fear. Yeah, we have a heater. Um, it's super nice, but like the air conditioning situation is not great. Our very first trip that we did with it, we drove down to Orlando to meet Brad's family, 
And uh, we ended up sleeping in the van and it got super hot. So we ended up having to turn the van on almost all night just to keep us cool. So uh, not ideal, but, you know. Got it. It works. Fascinating. And I understand you've been to four continents so far. We've been four continents just this year. Yeah. So we'll be hitting five when we get to Naples. And then right after that, we're going to Egypt. So that's six. Wow. You're living the life. Trying. I'm trying. Trying to live the life. Well, listen, I appreciate getting to know you a little bit here. I look forward to running into you at one of the expos. Please do. Maybe uh, I'll take the class this January when my, my food business is closed down for a month and see what I could do. Yeah, definitely. There's so much things to learn at Expo too. Like there's so many fun classes and I know there's been chatter about having kind of like a dough making class hands-on situation. So stay tuned. Nice. Like it. But yeah, lots of fun things. And I think there's, the more that people are are getting into it, the more that, you know, that the Expo grows, the more that we all grow. So it's, it's good for everyone. Good stuff. Nice to talk to you. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.